Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church, Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another, and impacting the world. Good evening, church. Is the mic on? Okay. For those of you who are still counting, this is part 11 of our Corinthian Chaos series. We find ourselves tonight in chapter 5. We're going to be reading from verse 9 to 13, 1 Corinthians 5, verse 9 to 13. It follows directly from last week. In last week's passage, you'll remember, Jabal took us through the first eight verses of this chapter. Paul gives the Corinthian church specific instruction relating to an, an individual in the church, a man who was sleeping with his father's wife. And the instruction was this, deliver him to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. It's a form of discipline, it's a form of judgment. In this week's passage, Paul moves from specific instruction relating to an individual to principles behind the instruction. Read with me the principles for judgment. 1 Corinthians 4. Chapter 5, verse 9 to 13. It reads as follows. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy and swindlers, or idolaters, since then you need to go out of the world. But now, now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed, or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Let us pray. Confess, Lord, matters of discipline and judgment seem weighty to me. They seem to be matters that require wisdom that is beyond my years and perhaps even beyond my human condition. But I am faced with the task of preaching your word, and I pray that I may be found faithful in preaching it. What is beyond my ability is not beyond you. So I pray where my words would be false. I pray hinder those words. And may your truth, Lord, prevail this evening. Minister to us through your word, I pray. Amen. Purge the evil person from among you. It is judgment by disassociation. It is a loaded sentence. You'll notice it is in quotation marks, and eventually we'll get to a couple of verses in Deuteronomy that shares that same phraseology. That is what Paul is quoting here. But for now, consider this. It is a command. The same Bible that says, 
love one another and love your neighbor and love your enemy and obey your parents, etc., it is the same Bible that also says, purge the evil person from among you. It's the same Bible, and this, this command fits in right there with all those other commands. If we are to believe that this is indeed the Word of God, that it is helpful and it is essential to all matters pertaining to life and godliness, if we are to be, believe that, then we have to take this command seriously. It is a loaded command, and it clearly requires some form of judgment. Now that word, that word judge. A few months ago, the youth, the Arcadia youth, we were going through a series on the local church. In one of the sessions that I was leading, the question came up in the notes, what are some of the reasons why people don't go to church? They ummed and they awed, you know, the usual. They don't like the vibe. The energy is just all wrong. The music is too loud, it's too soft, it's too old-fashioned. I don't like talking to people. Going to church makes me talk to people. I'm not a social person, I'm an introvert. And then someone said, people don't go to church because the church is judgmental. Christians are judgmental. And there was this loud chorus of amens, and that's the one. That's why people don't go to church. Everyone seemed to be in agreement. The church is too judgmental. Church, consider as we observe this passage, judge is not a swear word. It is a command May we be found faithful in obedience to this command. With that in mind, there are four questions that we'll ask tonight that will help us navigate this text. This text that is full of judgment. The four questions are where, who, what, how. First question, where? Where does this command that we are given take place? Where is the problem? Where are we supposed to be exercising judgment? Whomst shall the evil person, or from whomst rather, shall the evil person be purged? Paul starts by telling us where we are not to judge. Verses 9 and 10. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers, or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. Paul here references an earlier letter that he wrote to them. All the way back in part one of the series, when Isaac introduced us to this book, he explained that though this is referred to as 1 Corinthians in our Bibles, there was an earlier letter that Paul sent. God's providence did not sustain that earlier letter to be part of the Bible, and that's fine. But Paul is here addressing a misunderstanding that stemmed from that first letter. He told them not to associate with sexually immoral people, and they thought he was talking about the world. They thought he was talking about those outside the church. And so they likely acted on that 
misunderstanding. You're sexually immoral. You don't believe in Jesus. You're of the world. I want nothing to do with you. Perhaps they even stopped sharing the gospel because they were avoiding these people. What would that look like today? You're driving through the streets of Arcadia late at night. You stop at a red robot and a prostitute knocks on your window. I'm fine, thanks. Robot goes green, thank the Lord. You go on your merry way. And there's this wonderfully clear line between me and the outside world. All I have to do is keep my window closed and not let the world into my car. But Paul here is trying to fix this, this misunderstanding. I wasn't talking about them. Guess what? You exist in a fallen world. They exist in a fallen world. You guys will inevitably bump into each other from time to time. Deal with it. Now, he's not saying go wild and have a big fat party with the world. He's simply saying that's not what I was talking about. Where are we not to judge? The world. That's not our department. It's quite literally beyond and outside of our jurisdiction. Where are we then to exercise this command to judge? If not the world, where? Verses 11 and 12. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed, or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? It is not those inside the church. Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? You thought I was talking about the prostitutes at the robots? I wasn't talking about the world. I was talking about you. I wasn't talking about your gay neighbors or the unwed couple across the street. I wasn't talking about your uncle who had an affair. I was talking about you, you, the church. The world will always be the world. Expect nothing less of them. Expect nothing more of them. They have no inclination towards God. They owe God no obedience. If they come through those doors on a Sunday and you walk up to them after the service and, and if you say this to them, brother, I see you have been living in sin. You have been living in sexual immorality. You have been living in disobedience to the word of God. Please repent, make right with God. The world can sometimes, despite their sinfulness, be honest. And they'll likely say this, I'm not your brother. I don't care what the Bible says. The God that you want me to make right with, I don't even believe in him. The world is not the problem. The problem is within the bounds of Christianity within the bounds of the church. That is where our jurisdiction is. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he, is guilt, if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. Both of these people are committing the exact same sins, but there's a difference between the two. One of them... There's a name of brother. One is of the world. One bears the name of brother. 
claim to be Christian. They sit in church every Sunday. They come to every Bible study. They may even be paying their tithes faithfully and generously. But they are continuing in sin as if they are of the world. Which brings me to my second question. Who? We have the where. We're not exercising judgment outside there in the world. We're doing it here within the church. Who within the church? Again, verse 11. Anyone who bears the name of brother, if he's guilty of sexual immorality or greed, or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler. That's the who. Now, there's value in observing this list of sins that Paul gives us. But before we do so, two quick observations. Observation one, it is a list. Last week, we looked at a specific case that happened to be sexual immorality. Here, Paul expands on that. It's not just about getting rid of all the sexually immoral people and then thinking the rest of us are good. That's the only sin that mattered. No, that's not what it's about. But it is a list. You will find that within the church, there are those that are greedy. There are those that are drunkards. There are those who are idolaters. There are those who are swindlers and revilers. But because they are attracted to the opposite sex as God intended, because they didn't have sex before marriage, because they love one husband or one wife, because they're faithful to their spouse, they think they've made it. They think they've reached the peaks of spiritual maturity. It's a list. There's no medal for getting it right four out of six times or five out of six times. Each of these on their own is detrimental to the life of the believer and the life of the church. Forever, for whoever keeps the whole law but is guilty of one point is guilty of all of it. First observation, it is a list. Second observation Just as in a specific case last week, this is not a whoops. It's not a slip-up. The word guilty in our ESV version can be slightly deceptive. See in verse 11, if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed. Now it's not saying there was a long investigation and on such and such a day, this man was found guilty of an act of greed. That's not what it's saying. In fact, in the original Greek, you'll find the word guilty isn't even there in the text. Now, of course, he's guilty of those things. But the point is not that he was found guilty of those things. The point is that he is those things. He is sexually immoral. He is greedy. He is an idolater. He is a swindler, etc. It's not a slip-up that we're talking about here. It's a lifestyle. It's an identity that he wears proudly. He is unashamed of it. He hears the gospel on a Sunday and he carries on like normal the rest of the week. Who? Firstly, him who is sexually immoral. Sexual immorality, anything sexual that occurs outside of the marriage bed between one man and one woman as God intended. Anything. From the fantasies we entertain in our minds to the example we have in the text from last week, a man sleeping with his father's wife. That's sexual immorality. 
Who? Him who is greedy. Greed, the greedy or the covetous. They always want more. They are never satisfied. And they are willing to go to great lengths to get more, even to the detriment of others, even their brothers and sisters in Christ. Who? Him who is an idolater. An idolater is he who worships idols. Now in Corinth, this would be quite literal. A temple to Aphrodite, the goddess of love or lust, stands in the city. The who here is talking about Christians who are at church one day, but they're in the temple to Aphrodite is worshipping another god the next. We may not have temples of Greek gods on our doorstep, but we do worship idols. I found this definition for idolater. A person that admires intensely and often blindly one that is not usually subject to worship, or that that is not usually subject to worship. Who? Revilers. The Greek word here rendering the idea of verbal abuse. People who go about injuring another's reputation with denigrating abusive insults. Words hurt. Revilers glory in their words hurting others. They gossip, they slander. Who? Drunkards. They are found drinking in excess. And in this letter, we even have an example of someone who's drunk at the Lord's table. Who? Him who swindles. Swindlers, robbers, extortioners. It's almost another level of greed. Not only are they willing to do things that harm others, they're willing to steal for it, lie for it, bribe for it, break the law for it. Who are we to judge? Him who does these things, but still bears the name of brother. We have the where, we have the who. My next question, the what. What is this heinous crime that they have committed that makes them so worthy of our judgment? What is their charge? If we go to court, what shall we charge them with? Aren't we all sinners? Doesn't the Bible say, judge not, that you may not be judged? Doesn't Jesus say he came for the sick? Didn't he say he's come to call sinners and not the righteous? Didn't Jesus say that? Isn't church supposed to be this big hospital for sinners where sinners can be at home? Isn't love supposed to cover a multitude of wrongs? Why can't we just put up with each other and hold hands and sing kumbaya? Why all the meddling? Why is it so complicated? Why do we have to judge this brother? What thing did he do that is so terrible? What charge will we lay against him? With these questions in mind, consider with me Deuteronomy 19, verse 18 to 21. It speaks of the sin of false witnessing. Deuteronomy 19, 18 to 21. And if the witness is a false witness and has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him as he had meant to do to his brother. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. And the rest shall hear and fear and shall never again commit any such evil among you. 
Your eye shall not pity. It shall be life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, foot for foot. You'll notice that phrase, purge the evil from your midst. Now it appears at various places in Deuteronomy, and you'll notice it in today's passage. What charge would I level against this man? I want to borrow this charge from Deuteronomy, the charge of false witness. How is this man a false witness? He claims to be a brother. He claims to be a Christian. He bears the name proudly. He claims to be a product of the cross of Christ. But the Christ he witnesses to is weak. The Christ he witnesses to saves him from from sin, but doesn't sanctify him. He might save him from past sin, but it's too weak to save him from the present life of sin. The Christ he witnesses to requires no sacrifice. He likes the community. He likes the company. This man wants to be part of the flock. When it's time to look at the cross, when it's time to put sin to death, he is nowhere to be found. When it is time to put on the fruits of the Spirit, he is nowhere to be found. The Christ he witnesses to allows light to fellowship with darkness. This Christ, this this man is guilty of false witness against the cross of Christ. This is a man that it is said of him is a hearer of the word but not a doer. Like the man who looks intently in the mirror one second, but when he looks away the next, he's immediately forgotten what his face looks like. This is a man that it is said of him is like a dog returning to its vomit. This is a man that it is said of him he tramples the blood of Christ. This is a man who would continue in sin that grace may abound. This man hears the truth every Sunday, but he lives his life as one of the world. This man, if he were a true Christian, he would live his life pointing at the cross, but rather he spends his life spitting on it. If you're watching online, you'll have to take my word for it. There's a big cross in the world there. What does your witness look like? You as an individual, what does your life testify of? When last did you approach that cross and desire to be sanctified? Are you here for the people? Are you here for the name Christian? Because it's nice being loved and being called brother or sister? Do you want to be sanctified? Do you desire to be found holy in the eyes of God? Or does your life testify to a Christ who is too weak to transform you? Church, as the body, we need to ask ourselves a question, this question. Which Christ do we testify to? Now I'm grateful. I'm, I'm not saying this to puff anyone up, but I'm grateful to be part of a church that, to my eyes at least, still practices church discipline. But don't fall asleep on the job. Be vigilant. Be watchful. We are the bride of Christ. His return is imminent. He will return for his bride. It would be a tragedy if he came back and he finds that we have lost our footing. We slipped. Imagine 
a beautiful bride in their wedding dress rolling around in the mud. That's a tragedy. Make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace. I pray, I pray that the day never comes where sin is left unchecked within this church. Where sin reigns because Christians are too scared to stand up and say, that is wrong. That is not what we were saved for. We were not saved that sin may abound. We were saved to be free. Where Christians are too scared to hold the line of the gospel that sets sinners free. Where Christians value friendship and association above the word of God. I pray that that day never comes. Church, may we be found faithful in our testimony. We have the where, we have the who, we have the what. What was the charge? Lastly, the how. In conclusion, the how. How do we go about this? How do we pass judgment? How do we apply this? If this man is guilty as charged, what then do we do with him? Now, Paul wasn't suggesting that we hand out SAPS licenses to everyone so we can play CSI and start investigating each other and putting every second of everyone's life under this microscope to try and find their sins. That's not what he was suggesting. And he wasn't suggesting that we have a list of all the members and a list of all their sins, and if you committed a sin this week, you're not allowed inside the door. That's not what Paul was suggesting. Neither was Paul suggesting that we act rashly. Paul did not wake up on the wrong side of bed one morning and suddenly decide, let's purge the evil person from amongst us. He's not giving us a cheat code for church discipline. He's giving us the final step of church discipline. How do you pass judgment? We follow the process. Matthew 18, 15 to 17, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Tax collector. That's the process. Once the process has taken place, purge. Yes, the process takes place with love and kindness and gentleness. Jab will cover that last week. If you weren't here, go watch it online. But Paul here is referring to the last step of the process. That phrase, purge the evil from among you, it's found six times in Deuteronomy, and each time coupled with a command to stone the person to death. I don't think Paul is telling us to stone each other to death. But purge, cleanse, remove, take this person out from among you. Last week we had the example of a cancerous tumor. You don't walk up to a tumor and say, hi, how are you? As soon as you're aware of it, you try by all means to get rid of it. Don't even eat with such a man. Let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. May he be as one who is dead to you. It's supposed to hurt. 
It is right that he be dead to you because he does not bear fruit. What do you do with a branch that does not bear fruit? You cut it off. He is in God's hands now. The church is for the sick, but for the living who know they are sick. Only God can take what is dead and make it alive. We hope for this. We pray for this. We are patient and kind and gentle and loving. But if the person continues in sin and repents in sin and continues to spit on the grace that saves him, we can have, fellowship. We can have no fellowship with that person. His Christ is not our Christ. Church, if such a time comes... May we be found faithful in following the word of the God and purge that person from amongst us. Let's pray. Lord, I do not desire the time to come in this church, or any church for that matter, where it would be necessary to apply these verses. I don't desire that time. But if it does come, Lord, may we May we be found faithful in your word. Help us to this end, Lord, I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.